I'm alive. Man of the moment. The name on everyone's lips. The man everyone wants to speak to. Mark Cowell is in the house. Mark, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. Good. Pleasure to be here, mate. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. How are you? Very good. Very good. Um, so we've only known each other for a few weeks. and <coughs> A lot happened in the few A lot's weeks. happened in those few weeks. a busy weeks. few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And um, uh, we've met through the Save Our City project at the moment that's running in Liverpool. And... You know, um, when I first met you in, in that first meeting, you know, I was struck by, you know, your honesty and your authenticity. And then I looked into a little bit more about what you've been doing. And, you know, um, it, it's become, you've become something of an inspiration to me because I've got a bit of a, a dark, cynical side in which I don't really believe people do these things for anything other than an ego trip or whatever it is. But with you, you know, totally get 100% that it's genuine, it's altruistic, and you're doing it because you care, and that really made an impression upon me. <coughs> and then when we did, uh, we worked together on the first Save Our City in St. George's Gardens a couple of weeks ago. We did a video, and it was just a, it was a fantastic vibe. event. It really was a fantastic event because it's a very controversial subject. There's a lot of people that don't support it. Um, but it was great to be at a so-called political event that wasn't, you know, angry and bitter and <laughs> um, old-fashioned. It was. It felt really new and it was really positive and it was really good. And and, I, and then from there we've we've done a few other things. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Save Our City and what you're doing with it at the moment. You know, Save Our City, for me, come out of nowhere. You know, I was getting on with my own little mission at the time, which was the homeless mission, which was a carry-on mission from, obviously, the, the litter-picking one that we put up around all the postcodes in Liverpool, which are all based on bringing people together to help the city, to help each other. Um, these missions are purely to... Not just help the city, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there who've faced adversities in life. You know, there's people who don't feel comfortable going to restaurants or going to bars and they purely want to do good things, nice things. There's people in this city who want to help other people. And that's where I've come from, you know. I want to help people um, and I want to encourage people in the city to help people. Now, when these restrictions that are being put up on our city tier three, what we're facing right now. These restrictions are limiting people to what they feel like they can and can't do. They're scaring people. People won't leave their house. People won't go to shop. People won't go to a restaurant. People won't socialize. And when they actually got to the point where they shut the gyms, the gyms are a very important factor for maintaining mental health. We all know that mental health in our city at the minute is through the roof. You know, male suicide rates are through the roof. Children, young children are starting to suffer from mental health adversities. So when the gym's actually shut, that was a, it was a breaking point for me where I thought, you know what, we can't sit down and just let this keep happening. We can't let these restrictions, these regulations that 
the above powers that be force upon us. You know, so for me, it was about what can we do now? And I woke up and I literally thought, we need to bring people together. We need to start standing up now. Because it's, so, so it's, it's beyond the joke. So, so before you got involved with Save Our City, you focused on um, the food drops, helping with the homeless, the clothes drops as well. You were doing that, weren't you? Do the food donations. So you were seeing firsthand on the front line what the effects of this tier three lockdown were having on the people. You were seeing it yourself with your own eyes. Yeah, definitely, mate, yeah. yeah. I mean, the extent of these lockdown restrictions, it's ruining people. You know, businesses are getting shut down left, right and centre. I've got children myself. I'm not working, earning any money. I haven't been for a while. I've been doing all the community work, all the charitable work, helping people out in the city. I've had, luckily, I've had sponsors who've been by my side, who've been helping me get by week by week, you know, to fulfil putting positivity into the city. But not everyone's in the predicament I'm in who've got people to support them, who can help them. You know, people who've had businesses, pubs, play areas, all sorts of different industries that have been affected. These are just getting shut down because of a restriction, because of a pandemic that we're currently facing. And we're expected to just sit down and accept it. It's not right, it's not fair. So, the first event came together. It was a loose organisation of people who just had had enough. They wanted to make their voice known, stand up and, you know, push back against this dystopian nightmare that we're all finding ourselves living in that just does not seem to be going away. And it's quite surprising and disappointing to see how many people are just compliant, that they don't really, they care, they're going along with it. And, you know, that's what was good about that first event, was that it was a coming together. Because a lot of people, I don't know about you, but a lot of people, uh, you know, you go into the supermarkets, you go into the shops and everyone's got a mask on. So it was good to be in a group of people who I imagine you know, uh, uh, face their own similar situations where they feel like they're the only person in the shops without a mask. You know, how did you find that first event? What was your, what, what did you take from it? Well, to be honest, since the since the very first um, initial media breakout of this pandemic, which was back in, I think April or May. May was it I started picking up on it and they initially said you can only leave the house once a day for exercise other than that you know you're locked up you're a prisoner from the very set go I I thought no not a chance mate I'm not sitting in the house all day I started spending time out in nature and down the beach and I started meeting like-minded people and that's what we are we're like-minded you know we're all aware of what's going on in the world awakened so 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 it wasn't a surprise to me at no point during this you know so-called pandemic or better called plandemic did you believe that we were being told the truth and when that first lockdown came you know you were like me in that um we expressed our resistance to what we believe then and even believe more now that these restrictions aren't justified by the 
the stats or the figures that were being given. So you felt that at the very beginning. I was questioning this from day one. Yeah. Why do you there think? Was pro- there, there was probably a couple of days initially where I thought, wow, what's going on? The world's gone crazy. What, like everything's going upside down. People are being forced to do this, forced to do that. Straight away, I thought, hmm, th- there'll be something behind all this. And was this, have you always been like this? Have you always been somebody who has questioned the official narrative that we're, that we're given by the media, by the authorities? Or was this the first time you felt as if, Something wasn't The right. first time I started questioning things was 9-11. Okay. But I never delved too deep into it because I was wrapped up in my own life of chaos. You know, I'd never sat back and actually looked at what was really going on in the world. My life was on a different path then. I was doing different things. And life, like I said, it was a life of chaos. But when this started coming on our mainstream media... And literally people were petrified to stand by each other and wearing masks and you couldn't go here, you couldn't go there. Yeah, I was thinking, this isn't right. Mm. There is an agenda behind all this. But then when you start looking into stuff and you start speaking to people who are like-minded, as we call it, and they start telling you things and you start taking interest about life, you start taking interest about what is really going on. Mm -hmm. And you know what, don't think there's enough people who who were like that. Clearly not enough people who were like that. I think people are too wrapped up in the nine to five and putting their feet up when they get home and having a cup of tea and, you know, they just, whatever. I can understand a lot of people don't want to risk what little they've got and they don't want to speak out or they don't want to challenge the narrative or or what because they're scared, you know, and sometimes fear can be a justifiable, you know, reaction to things if, you know, you, you can't handle losing what you've got. So I do get that a little bit, but um, those that are fearful or completely blind to the lies we're being told, I mean, they're not helping matters. And worse, they're pointing the finger at people who are trying to, you know, get to the truth, get to the bottom, and more importantly, are demanding evidence because... But there's evidence coming out now, isn't there, where, where like, factual evidence is coming out by people who are taking it upon themselves to go and actually do reports yeah. scientifically um, and they're putting stuff on the table now and you know where's the explanation for them mm-hmm. but these people who, who we class as being fast asleep are they willing to take this the, these proven figures and facts will they look at them and go hmm, well maybe I don't, I don't think, think so. they will <laughs> I don't think they will because no. they're, they're still watching the news every day mm. they're still reading the paper every day they're still brainwashed you know, the likes of ourselves who don't watch the news or read the paper and we're doing our research across other internet streams, people who are, who are legitimately reaching out to help people. David Icke, he's been doing it for years. I've only just learned and heard about him, but he's been speaking out for a long time. These people are waking people up, mm-hmm. but us as individuals in this city and in our lifetime now, who are starting to take notice and things are starting to make a lot of sense. It can't be ignored. Mm-hmm. How can you ignore it? You'd be stupid to ignore it. And a lot of people have come across to me now as just being stupid. So, I don't so mean that's to say like, I don't mean to say like, mean. But, but seriously like, are you, are you concerned about your children's future? Because I am. You're concerned about your children's future there's people walking around who think they know what this world's about, and they don't. Mm. How are you? How are you going to wake them up? 
How are you going to convince them? Do they have to wait till the day where things go boom? And by then, what? They're going to look at us and go, oh, you were right all along. Mm. You know, it's... A bit late then, isn't it, unfortunately? It's a bit late. And, like, we're doing stuff that we're doing now. Yeah. Standing up to the, to our local councils and our governments and these rules and regulations that are being forced upon us. And we're going, no, we don't, we don't abide by what you're saying because what you're saying is in fact being put to us by a load of corrupt elites. We know, we know what's happening. We know. We are aware of what's going on. You know, so... So, so that first event, that first uh, Save Our City event, it was in St. George's Gardens, and uh, it was a fantastic day. Really well received, as far as I'm concerned. And the, the police, um, the day after, they declared that that event was lawful, right? So for all those people that were criticizing the event, um, the people that were saying that there was no social distancing, or there was you know, no masks or whatever, right? Those criticisms for me were blown out the water when the police declared it lawful. Yeah, because if those so-called rules, regulations or laws were broken, the police would not have done that. So they've done that for a reason which I thought was really um, a really interesting result from that. Now, what did you feel the the feedback was like after the first Save Our City event? Did you did you get a lot of positivity? Did you start to feel some criticism coming in? What was your experience with that? You know, it's mixed, especially a lot of my interactions done over social media platform. So you've obviously got people on there who are, you know, convinced that what's going on now is totally legitimate. And, you know, all the facts and figures that the news and the papers pumping out are legitimate. They're, in, they're living the life in fear. Then you've got the likes of us who believe otherwise through factual evidence that we've seen, that we've researched, that we've come across through being around like-minded people, awakened people. Then you've got people on the fence who aren't sure. So the feedback, the feedback's mixed. You know, you've got people who are all for it, who love it, who say we're doing great things for the city, which we are. Then you've got people who are totally against it. Now, the fact that the police have called it lawful, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. It was lawful because we took the correct measures to ensure that the rally didn't get shut down so that people had the opportunity to speak and be heard. But, now, but for me, I mean, it couldn't be unlawful because our right to assembly, our right to meet... You know, that's a fundamental human right. It's enshrined in Magna Carta. So, you know, these other so-called regulations can't supersede that right. So regardless of whether social distancing was practiced or not, it still would have been lawful, in my view. And I think it was interesting that they came out and they felt the need to say that because they didn't need to say it. Right? So I don't know why they did, other than to well, quash, said, quash they, criticism. They, they've said it because... They've been seen to put issues out against people who were organisers, threatening them with £10,000 fines and fining people for coming within other people's distances. And if you're exceeding certain amounts of people in your bubble, you'll be getting issued with fines. The very fact that we went about it in the correct way for the specific time when all these measures are in place, we done it lawfully, didn't we? So, so 
they had to address that because I don't think if they didn't address the fact it was lawful, everyone would be going, what's happening? Where's the fines? Mm. Why haven't why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? But the fact is, mate, you can't do nothing. Mm. I know there's been a bit of criticism because you were asking people to socially distance and um, you were sending around um, hand sanitizer. However, my view on that is, you know, there is no precedent or modern precedent in how to run a anti-pandemic rally. No. This is experimental. We're finding out the way forward. We're pushing the boundaries. We're testing the law. We're testing the police. Testing you know, the water, isn't it? Yeah. So what do you say to those criticisms? Well, look, our, our, initial, our initial rally, we wanted to go smooth. We didn't want the police to come in. We didn't want it to get shut down. We wanted people to speak. We wanted people to get heard. So part and parcel of the risk assessment, which I don't deal with myself. It's not it's not what I do, but um, given one of the other organisers deals with that stuff, part and parcel of the risk assessment was to adhere to certain measures. Um, safety signs are put up. Social distancing is in place. Uh, you've got to be seen to hand all these hand sanitizers around. I don't agree with none of it. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with any of it. I don't agree with all these regulations that we're getting told that we have to abide by. I don't abide by any of them. Mm. But for the purpose of the event and for the purpose of the rally and for the purpose of having the conflict with the police and letting the people come together and letting the people speak, I felt we had to do what we had to do on that day in order for it to be a success. 100%. Now, I understand people are angry and people are frustrated and people don't agree with what was getting said on the microphone. Believe you me, I don't agree with one of them things either. But for the sake of the city and for the sake of the people and for the sake of getting us together and to avoid us getting shut down and police running in with coshes or whatever they want to do, I don't and follow procedures that I felt was necessary on the day. Now, how things happen moving forward, it's not down to me to decide. Like my, be- my, beliefs, my beliefs are here on the table. I'm not for these regulations one bit. Now, that was the first time I'd seen you in action, and I was I was uh, quite surprised and impressed by your professionalism and your talent in managing that event, your ability to liaise with the police, to organise the crowd, to speak with the speakers. It was a it was a high pressure event, you know, and I think you dealt with it really really well, and I think the event turned out to be a success. <clears throat> um, but I can understand the contradiction in. You know, we are an anti-tier three uh, rally yeah. movement, but yet we're adhering, adhering to social distance. So, so regulations. There is a contradiction there, but at, at the same time, we're trying to find out where, you know, where the, the gaps are, aren't we, really? Where we can push, what, what's the... We knew what we had to do on yeah. the day. We knew, we knew what we had to do on the day to uh, maintain a successful rally. Mm-hmm. And we stuck by it. We did it. It was a success. And listen, I can understand the frustration in the city from the people who have the same view on all this as the likes of me, the likes of yourself, the likes of a lot of other people that we associate with. You know, I don't I don't believe in any of these restrictions, but for the fact of that rally to be a success, I felt I'd done what I had to do. I thought now, you brought the positivity that was required to a negative, you know, situation I thought was just brilliant. And I think finishing with the... Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. I mean, that, it couldn't get much better than that. It was it was just a, a really uh, awesome ending. Now, it's hard, it's hard to maintain positivity, by the way, when there's a lot of 
frustrated and rightly so when there's a lot of frustrated and angry people to to kick a positive vibe into that sort of energy and that vibe it it's not easy no but i think and it like, was successful for you to turn up and start going oh good vibes good people good times you know and people are standing there and absolutely hating the council hating the government hating these restrictions to crack a smile at a rally like that for me wow do you know what i mean well that brings me on to the next issue in that um after the event and you know you're dealing with people on your instagram which is your focal point um you made a post about joe anderson and it was a, for me it was a fairly innocuous post it wasn't particularly it wasn't controversial at all in my view but you got some criticism for that what would you like to say about that it was it was a that was a it was a heavy heavy impact on me as an individual like i've come from a positive bringing people together party atmosphere i don't know nothing about politics you know and now i'm starting to learn about <laughs> far right far left and all like antifas and all this that and the other at the time there's and i've been being told stories and being shown reports now since that post and you know i can totally understand why people would go wow what are you doing posting that but i'm new into like yeah, it's your Under, first understanding your first the politics and, politics and how and how all councils work, you know. Liverpool, Liverpool has a really complicated power structure, you know. You you you're just being exposed to it for the first time, aren't you? Yeah, I got <laughs> exposed. I got exposed in the heavy <laughs> with a heavy right hand to the chin. It was just like, wow, what's happened here? But do you yeah. know what? At the time when um, when the council jumped on board and they mentioned that they were they were in favour of the rallies i initially thought because i'm used to bringing people together and all that and all like everything's positive i thought oh well that that's a good step in the right direction we won't be getting shut down in the future and you know the police are on our side but then i started hearing about corruption this corruption that um apparently defending pedophiles like all heavy heavy stuff I could totally understand why the people would be like, what are you doing? Why are you on side with them? I was never on side with them. I was just in my, where I was and where I was standing. It was important for me to be seen to be neutral so that in future events, things wouldn't get shut down. We wouldn't have issues and, you know, the the city could keep coming together and we could keep getting to the streets and keep talking and get our message across and more and more and more people would come. When in fact, what I released on that platform caused a big division mm. between people who were like totally. I don't, I don't see the, the thing for me is I read that post and it was a nothing post as far as I was concerned. And, and uh, I can understand what your intention was from knowing you the short time that I have. I can, you know, gauge, gauge what you were, what you were planning to do. And it was from my perspective, you were just trying to bring everyone together. You're trying to bring all scousers together, right? And say, there's the enemy down there in London. These are the people that are imposing these life-changing restrictions upon everyone. And we should all, as a city, as a group, as scousers, join together. That was your intention, as far as I could see it. But, but you know, now, but yeah. now, we've got enemies everywhere, mm. haven't we? Mm. Like, I'm, I've Amongst been... Our own. We've got enemies everywhere, mate. And believe you me... I'm not in favour of standing side by side with any sort of government agency, Boris Johnson, Joe Anderson, 
or cut up council from today moving forward. Do you know, like since I've been told things I've been told and learned things I've learned in a short period of time over the last couple of weeks. I'm for the people. I'm I, I'm with the people and for the people. I think what it was as well is that at the time that came out, Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester, who is a scouser, was in the news appearing to fight for Mancunians against the government. You know, he was appearing to resist Boris Johnson's cabal trying to put tier three on Manchester and he was saying, no, no, no. And at the time, everyone was going, wow, this is amazing. Why aren't our elected officials fighting our corner like Burnham is fighting for the for the Manx? So, yeah, and, go, and, and what's that down to? It? Is this down to like, is he getting another brown envelope? Yeah. You know, is this, is this another leading line of corruption? Is we want to know. <laughs> is, this an, is this another form of suffering that us people in this city have to face because of a couple of quick owners from one's back pocket? I don't know the answer, but why would you be in favour of a tier four coming in when a tier three isn't even necessary? It's unbelievable. A tier one and tier two ain't necessary as far as I'm concerned. But it's quite clear that they do not have the people's interests at heart. They are in bed with this Tory government and they are not fighting for us. And I think that was that was the um, when you made that post, that was the hot topic of the day, was that Burnham was pushing for the Manx and Joe had folded, folded a lot earlier than Burnham. You know, so his price must be a lot lower than Burnham's was. I think that was it. I think it was a, a topical moment, you know, but you dealt with it, and it was an education. Lad, I'm, le I'm learning stuff every day, though. You know, yeah. every single day, mate, I'm learning new things, and I'm used to just throwing stuff up on that platform off a good vibe, off jumping around the streets, litter picking, bringing families together, helping kids get out the house and socialise, you know, getting people to overcome their adversities, saving lives, mate. That's what's been happening. I've, been, I've spent all summer saving lives, and... Now I've gone from like such a positive uh, motion of events, meeting up on beaches and parks and doing all fun stuff with music and that, DJs. And now the Save Our City tier three lockdowns come in and there's a lot of there's a lot of heavy energy, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of anger. But you're still I think you're still maintaining a positive mental outlook, which is the right thing to have. It's not you that's not being positive. It's the energy from the outside, it's the energy from the people who oppose us is bringing in, you know, the negative vibes. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of people with a lot of different views and there's a lot of people who want things to go a certain way. Uh, there's a lot of people with different opinions on decisions that are getting made, you know, even down to little things, you know, words on posts or words on posters. Um, it's hard. How can you, yeah. how, how can I stay as positive as possible and bring all these people together who have got mixed emotions and mixed thoughts and, and bring us all together on the streets to stand strong and unite. Because what we've got at the minute is we've got a lot of angry people. We've got a lot of angry people who are awakened, who are like-minded, that are still having murder with each other and they don't agree with one thing and don't agree with another. And it's like everyone's starting to split off into different fr fractions when really we all need to just focus on the bigger picture and come together. And like a part of life is, except for me, part of life, you've got to accept sometimes that not everything's going to go your way. 
you know, and sometimes you'd have to look at the bigger picture and go, do you know what, for the sake of the cause and for the sake of the movement and what we're actually standing for, our freedom, is this really worth not coming together for? Is that not worth coming together for? How are we going to resolve this? We need the whole city. We need every single person who's awake. We need every single like-minded individual who wants what's best for the city, best for the families, best for the businesses. We need everyone to come together. I couldn't agree with you anymore, Mark, and it's, it's, it's great to hear you say it. It's, it's like, you know, we should put aside our political differences, our differences, and get this fight won. We can go back to arguing with each other later, you know? But right now, we just need to put it all to one side and come together, like you say. Um, so, the second event, which was last Saturday. Yeah. This time, steps on the front. this time it was back at the front of St. George's Hall, which was a different, different to- vibe. totally different vibe. Different weather. Do you know, to be honest, like that, that week for me, it was a it was a big lesson that week. Like you said before, it was a carry on from the the initial Joe Anderson post that went out, which was a which was a learning curve, and there was still repetitive negativity going for days after that. Um, so there was an accumulation of things that happened that week. I had a couple of people who'd been around me close circle for all summer, all year. Um, they were putting negativity on me, which it, which wasn't good for me at the time. I was trying to focus on getting to the steps, getting the people together. There was a lot of controversy. I felt like there was a lot of divisions that started happening that week. So obviously when we turned up, yeah, it was a, it was a more pressured, pressured situation for me. I thought, you know, we need to get it nailed today. Then obviously we turned up and the weather weren't on our side. There was a little bit of chaos with regards to the organisation. Are we going to go speakers out, speakers in? We standing here, we standing there. Where's all the people? You know, it was so, so the 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 event was put at the top of the stairs under the canopy, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. To combat the rain. Yeah, and to give people a place to stand in in the undercover, but unfortunately, the head police that were there didn't they say they were going to shut it down if? Well, the, I was getting move? I was I was getting mixed reports. I know we had someone who was uh, liaising with the police, and they were coming back to me with one message, and then I took it upon myself to go and find the police officer. I was like, "What what's the script? Can we stay under here? Do we need to go out there?" Mm. So I think we had one policeman who was saying, you're all right under here. We had whoever was in charge saying, no, you need to go out there. It was just chaos. It was there was a, it was chaos. Yeah. It was like different mixed messages between the organisers, mixed messages throughout the police. And then for us, it was like, right, we need to deal with this now because the rally was all up and running and things were going. And for me, my priority when these rallies are going is I need to introduce the next speaker. I need the speaker to be standing there ready so I can go, right, here's so-and-so, welcome to the mic, give them a round of applause. If they're not standing there, mm. who am I giving the microphone to? Mm. Because it's all set, it's all coordinated. Mm-hmm. It should be all correspondence with like the sheets that I've got to hand. I was worrying that it was all going to fuck. I was like, no, can't be having this happening. Do you know what I mean? It, it was chaotic, but... But it, got, it turned out in okay in the end. It was... We got it done. We and got it done. I, and, and I think I think it was it was great to see the people who were committed standing in the rain for that entire event. I mean, they, they were they were hardcore, hardcore supporters. Well, this is another thing that, that got to me that day because of obviously the passion that we've got about 
the city and our freedom and making a change and standing together. I visualise mass numbers of people coming together, you know, thousands and thousands of people going, this isn't right, what's going on? And then when you're looking out, then there's like 1,000 people, 1,500 people. I'm like... Where is what, everyone? What's everyone doing, mate? Where, where are the people in the city? Like, we're doing, we're not just doing this f- for ourselves, we're doing this for everyone. So was you disappointed by that? Yeah, mate, I'm yeah. Disapp- I, I, and I'm still disappointed. I think there's people in the city who need to... Pull the finger out. Pull the finger out, mate. Especially yeah. if you class yourself as being like-minded and awakened. Where are you? Where's your support? You're no good sitting at home watching, watching telly. And if you've got the kids, bring your kids with you. You know, if you've got a day in, there's going to become a day soon where... You've got to make pe- a stand. People are going to have to take a day off work, mate, if they're in work. And we're going to have to come together. Mm. We need mass numbers. Mm. Numbers in unity. Numbers is strength. Well, I spoke to Louise from Save Our Rights yesterday. And she said that um, now, after a couple of months of consistently protesting in London, I think it's weekly they do it. It might even be more than weekly. I don't know for sure. But she said now... They've got 10,000, 20,000 people coming to every event. It didn't start like that. It started with small numbers, but because they were consistent, because they stood the ground, it became an attractive force, and more and more people got added and added, you know, until now it's it's a, a, a movement big enough to force the attention of the government to take on board what it is our demands are or what it is that we want. Now, I think Liverpool might be something similar. We may have to wait a few more weeks yet or even a month more until numbers start to build, till people start to, th- start to see that it's serious. Because some people are just looking th- and finding out, is this a flash in the pan? Are they going to be gone next week? Is this a waste of time, me even coming down? I think that's a little bit of a factor at play as well. We're not messing around though, are we? No. We've got a few serious people who are on the other end of the phone who are willing to come and speak out, mate. And, you know, when they start showing the face on the streets of Liverpool and putting their messages across, mm. you know, it's going to change. It's going to change the attention to everything massively, I think. But I know we've got the, the Save Our City, which is our main focus point about getting Liverpool back off the floor. Obviously, avoiding this tier four bullshit that's going to be getting through in the woodwork at some point everything that, that big Joe's got goes to plan which we're going to do everything we can do to make sure it doesn't happen um, I mean what, what where does it end tier 4 tier 5 tier 6 I mean what's the goal here what's the end goal what, are, what is the plan other than to keep breaking us or to keep grinding us into the stone there doesn't seem to be any you know remedy I mean and why is he not fighting our corner. Why is he coming out and saying, oh, yeah, I support Tier 4? Why isn't he saying, no, we won't support Tier 4. I'm going to fight tooth and nail for the people of this city. If this Tory government want to impose Tier 4, they're going to have to do it over my dead body. Why isn't he saying that? You know, it, it, even even if he doesn't have why, the power to why stop. Is the, why is the question, though, Lawrence? Yeah. Why is it? Mm. Why? Mm. You know, why isn't he in support of the people? Who's, tell, who's telling him he's doing a good job? That's mm. what I want to know. Who's saying to him, oh, you're doing a good job, mate? Because every single man and dog that I meet says the opposite. And we see that ourselves. And he's been in power for quite a long time, Joe Anderson. He's been in that position for 10 years or more. Do you think he enjoys all this stress and all this hate? I think he likes the money. 
think he likes the power. I think he likes the influence. I think he needs to wrap up shop, mm. mate. I think he needs to jump on a plane, go and shit himself on a beach somewhere far, far out the way, mate, and mm. let this city get back up and running with someone real. Mm, good show. Someone who's awakened. Mm. Someone who knows what's going on in this world, do you know what I mean? There's no room for all this corrupt bullshit no more. Families, children, thousands of them suffering, mate, week in, week out. Because I know something, mate, if you give me a big stack of money and put it there and said, do something with that, mate, I'd be changing lives day in, day out with it. And that's a fact, mate. Because mm. I'm doing it now with nothing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. How are you finding it, Mark? How, how are you? You know, because when I found out what it is that you were actually doing, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, really. You know, it's... You're getting up at what time? Six o'clock in the morning. You're jumping in your car and you're delivering 50 meals to people who without food. Tell me about your food bank that you've got set up because I'm new to all this, new food banks and learning about you know how they operate. And when I found out that <laughs> a lot of the food banks in this country now are government run, right? And they're you know managed by the government. Ours ain't managed by no government, yeah. mate. Ours is run by real people off the streets who care about the kids and care about the families, mate. We're making sure that food goes to the doors where the people need it. Mm. And look, this is all just done off a, off a positivity platform, off a mental health support network. This is being done off something that myself and a group of people have built. It's real activism, Mark. That's what it is. It's real activism. It's not something you know people talk about for virtue signaling or to feel good. Getting off your ass, getting up, and getting and doing it yourself. You know, that's that's. I take my hat off to you. I totally me, admire you for it. Me mate Andrew Murphy. He's a proper cool kid. Like he's got an art of gold. Is this the guy you doing it with? Yeah, he's got a three bedroom house, mate. But he lives in the house on his own. He's turned his house into a HQ. His house is now full of donated clothes. His house is now full of food. We have three or four girls in there who are packaging hampers up. We have all Instagram accounts right across the city taking door numbers. Who needs food? Reach, outreach, outreach, outreach. And we just get the postcodes, we get the families, we get how many kids they've got, we get the door number. And then we've got drivers on the street who are voluntarily driving around the city dropping these hampers off. Fucking incredible. And this, this has all happened because the government said that our kids weren't entitled to free school meals. And then you get Joe Anderson popping up going, oh yeah, I'm going to donate. I think we must have got a, a text message saying here's a £10 voucher for food. What are you doing with £10, mate? Mm -hmm. Hey, what are you going to do with £10? You're going to do nothing? So we just get massive boxes. I'll run round in the Jeep. I'll pick food up from everywhere, bring it to the house, all the girls will package it. Then we'll have drivers going out and dropping it all off at the door. Um, and this is something I want to make a permanent thing in the city, by the way. How many, how many doors are you doing a week? Well, look, it takes... Because we're only just getting set up properly. Um, and what's it called, the operation? We've just done it under Awakened Souls events. Okay, so yeah. it's like an Awakened Souls events outreach team. Um, like I said, Andrew Murphy running it from his own house. So what we've been doing now, we've been enlisting all the postcodes, say L13. We'll have the addresses all in L13 so a driver can just take it there. And they just run around the postcodes. But we're faced with issues. We're all driving around in normal cars. Yeah. I've got a Jeep, but even the Jeep's not big enough for the, for the hampers. I can only take three or four parcels out at a time. So if you think about taking three or four parcels, given the traffic, given the time of day, you could be out for an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours, depending where you're going in the city from where you are. Then you're going back, you're grabbing another four, you know, 
it's you're doing a lot of running around with small numbers because the vehicles aren't big enough to with old a big load. We're not driving around in sprinter vans that you can just kick a load of gear in and just go go out get out. We're running around in little cars. You know, there's girls and lads. And who's helping you financially? Where's the, who's contributing to this so that you can you can operate? Right now, we're just it's all voluntary work. It's all voluntary. The 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 mission is in the future. I'm going to set up a CIC company, a community interest company. I want to set up a permanent outreach um, unit. So from the unit, we'll have all the donations for the homeless. So you've just got this unit, haven't you? This no, this is that that that's different. That's okay. for the health and well-being okay. centre. Yeah. Um, but when when the CIC is in place, I want to get a full-time outreach team operating in Liverpool, so that even just because these restrictions now have limited kids, I want to help kids and families 12 months a year. And I've got people there in our community now who are willing to work and help. So once the CIC company is set up, it's all in place, the funding's there. I'm going to get a unit. I'm going to obviously put all the outreach posts out on the platforms for clothes, for food. I'm going to set up litter picking teams. I want to send litter picking teams around different postcodes in the city, send them out with all the high-vis jackets on, the litter pickers, let them have a little Bluetooth speaker on the back with some music on so they've got a little bit of a vibe to keep them going because <laughs> that's what it was all about, yeah, the man. music. <laughs> Music's the energy. We make it cool. Then I want to be able to help as many homeless people as we can. Like There's a good charity that we work alongside, Phoenix Foundation. They've been set up for a, for a while in Liverpool, so we're assisting them at the minute. And then obviously I want to do an outreach team for all the families in the city, for all the single mums, for all the parents, the people who are struggling, mate. So you're doing basically the council's job. It's what they should be doing. You know, why aren't they doing this? Why is it being left to people to give up their lives, their their resources, their time? I mean, look, I, I know firsthand how much can be done because I'm doing it myself and I've got a community of people behind me who are doing it day in, day out. And this is without money. This is like working out of kitchens, taking people's bedroom space up, packaging stuff up in other people's houses, people voluntarily running around in their own spare time to get things done in the city, mate. Day in, day out. I do it myself all the time. You know, no days off. That's something that you might see on my profile all day, every day, no days off. And what I mean by that is the help is there for the people in the city. I'm willing to do it myself and I've got a whole army of people who are willing to do it. And this is this is why we're not financially funded. So the difference we'll make when we are financially stable. If people want to help you now, Mark, right? Because I'm sure people watching this will feel as if they want to help, right? Either they want to contribute the time or they want to make a donation, which, you know, I think this needs some financial support. How can they do that? I know I've, you don't like it. I, I know you don't like I've it, had, but I'm doing it for you. I'm going to, I'm going to promote <laughs> it for you, right? As, yeah. Because you need some support here. How can people help? I've never been, I've never been driven by... Um, no, of by course. Money. I know, I'll explain this. I used to be driven by money when I was younger, when I was involved in drugs and the materialistic lifestyle and flying here and flying there and VIPs and champagne and women and all that. I've lived that life, mate. I was always chasing money. When I got to my senses and after I had my mental health breakdown and I went on the healing journey, 
and realised that money wasn't happiness. You need to be within yourself. You need to be content with yourself and the people that you're around to be happy. I started doing all this stuff just off the bat, you know what I mean? So, But uh, but you need petrol paying, don't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, the, the, I've got a Just Given page, which is Awaken Souls events, which is okay. on the Just Given. Um, so people can donate and, and that can go to the help and the expenses of the project. This, that, yeah, all that's going to go to. Eventually, if it got to the point where we had enough money, I'd go and get a unit tomorrow, but we're not at that point yet because I don't push the Just Given page out because mm. I don't like asking people yeah. for money because that's not what my intention is. That's not what I'm about. If people want to well, help... I'll ask it for you, okay? <laughs> you don't have to ask. <laughs> Everyone, donate to Mark. <laughs> I do get people I do get people who message and go, how can I help? Can I donate? Have you got to just give? And if they ask, I'll tell them. But it's not something that I'll push yeah. out across the platform. Um, so there's a just given page. And then obviously in times like now when the children are suffering and we've got the half term... Tell us a little bit the about kids. the people that you're helping. Um, can you give us, you know any stories or profiles of of who it is that's struggling the most? <coughs> you see a lot of single mums. You see a lot of single mums who've been through domestic abuse relationships um, and, you know, they're stuck in their house and they've got no lecky, they've got no gas. It's cold, it's dark. The kids are running around in the PJs. You know, these people are suffering, mate. They're, they're struggling, they're just living week by week. They're, re they're reaching out. They don't like reaching out either, by the way, because they feel like... Embarrassed. They feel embarrassed, mate, yeah. And, like, every time I knock on the door, I'll be like, listen, don't worry if you need anything else. Make sure you message me and I'll get it to the door. Do you know... Do, do, do you get to know them? Do you get to see no, the same I people don't, or do you get different people? To be honest, for... Out of respect for them, I don't want to be too intrusive and, like... I don't want them to have to feel like they need to open up to myself or any of the other drivers or any of the, you know, it's down to, if they want to have a conversation when you're at the door, that's fine. But most of the time it's knock on, hey, you're all right, you're okay, how's the kids, there's your food, have a nice day, see you later. Do you know what I mean? And, and I like it like that because they've initially reached out, which is already, have that emotion of being embarrassed. I don't want to turn up and feel like they have to spill their life story on me. Do Although you, some of them do speak to you, it's not um, it's not part and parcel of of this mission feeding them. If it, if I was running a mental health um, course or a coping strategy mechanism course for anxiety or depression or domestic abuse, you know, if they were coming for that service for that um, for that help, obviously that's an opportunity for them to open up. But on the food mission. It's just nice to get the food to the door, get the kids fed, you know, give them nappies, give them wipes. There's loads of stuff, mate, you know what I mean? Have you found that people are suffering, you know, is, is the suffering worse during lockdown in terms of people not being able to feed themselves or the families? Or is this just an ongoing issue? It's an ongoing issue, which it's an ongoing issue. There's a, there's a lot of people out there who are struggling week in, week out, regardless of what this this situation is. But this situation that we're in now is certainly making it worse. Is it making it worse, yeah? It's making it worse, yeah. Mm. It's making it worse. People, so that's the thing. That the, people, the, who, people who don't, people who are in, living in fear. The cure can't be worse than the disease, can it? People who are yeah. living in fear, who are scared to go to shop and cross paths with other people in case they catch coronavirus. They're, these sorts of people, there's a lot of people like that, mate. They don't want to leave the house, you know, mm. 
And then you've got us who are here, like little soldiers on the streets who are awakening, going, look, it's a load of shit, you need to get out. You know, don't take no notice of these restrictions. They're that in fear, they're like, whoa, you're mad. Mm. Like, nah, we're not, we're looking out for you, you know mm. what I mean? Mm. I don't hate on I don't hate on no one, mate. I don't hate on anyone who's, someone's got something bad to say about, about me or about what I do. That's not my problem, that's their problem. You only have to look at what I've been doing for the last six months to realise. I've had people going, you're only doing this to get famous. Well, you don't give a fuck about money. I'm not asked about money. I'm not asked about being famous. I'm just a nice person. I'm a nice person with six kids, yeah? Mm. Six kids who I was not a role model to for many, many years. One of my main goals in life now is to be a role model for my children. So for my children to see me doing good things and being nice to people, there's nothing more I can ask. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, you use the name Awakened Soul and you truly are an awakened soul, right? And I want to know how you've come to that realisation, how you've come to that expansion in your consciousness because it seems to me that you've been on quite a journey and... A fast one as well, by the way. <laughs> I turned my life, life around very quick. Well, it's, it, it must I, have been I there. I through the dark, mate. I went through the dark. Yeah, a good character is, is, is not just, doesn't just appear. It's always there. Right? So you've had to go through something to find yourself again, but from my observation. Um, so tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in high time. Well, look, I grew up I grew up with a with a loving family in a nice area, went to a nice school. My mum was a nurse and my dad done licensing for the police. So straight away, both my parents, good jobs. I had a good upbringing. When I got to the age of 15, I'd say 15. But before, before, you, before we go to the, where you fell off the rails, let's talk a little bit about, you know, that upbringing because... Um, oh, despite despite you being tough, quite a thick Liverpool accent, you've you're very bright and articulate. Yeah. So where does that level of education and you come from? Is that the school you went to? Is it just something you're interested in? Because that's what I find quite interesting about you. I've always been I've always been a hundred mile an hour. Yeah. I've always been the class clown, as they used to call me back in school. I was always the loud one. I was always the tall, loud one that would stick out from the crowd. It never always paid in my favour, you know, growing up. I'd always stand out from whoever I was with, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, not for a, not, in a, not in a bad way, but I was just known as being... Tall and loud. Tall, loud nuisance. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I was a nuisance. I used to just... I used to always want to just disrupt people in class and just be a little... A good menace, do you know what I mean? I took didn't take I didn't take life serious. I didn't like school. Mm. I liked having a laugh, but I Did didn't you go like to school in high town. No, I went to school in Formby. I was down. In, I went to I went to Rangers at high school. Then I went to uh, college in Bootle. Then I went to college in Kirby, and then that was it. Then what did you do in college? I done a bricklaying course. Yeah. When I left school, because I was never a classroom guy. I used to think I need to do something practical, something physical that's going to keep me fit. I'll be outdoors, I'll build houses. So I went to college, I done bricklaying. Then the recession kicked in. 
2009. Just as I'd finished my apprenticeship, um, the recession kicked in. So the bricklaying course that I'd studied for, that ended up going to pot, you know what I mean? There was no work for me. Um, went, I moved to Dublin. I'd done a little bit of work over in Dublin on a recruitment agency. Then I came back to Liverpool. Then I started partying, partying mixing up, selling a little bit of drugs. Because all the social circle that I had, everyone was drinking, everyone was using. That was the lifestyle that was, I, was, I was mixed up in. But it's Liverpool, isn't it? It's partying as it part of easy, our DNA. It was easy done. And then... It was uh, it was my mum who come come back one day and she was like, "What are you? Where are you getting all your money from, son? What are you doing all this, that, and the other?" And me being, like, oh, "Don't you worry about it, mum. Do you know what I mean? Got the money tree in there." So when did you she's leave like, home? Yeah. She's like, "You're a joke. <laughs> you're a joke." She was. She's like, "You're a joke. You need to sort yourself out." She went, "Here's a course," and I was like, "What is it?" She was like, "It's a welding and fabrication course." And I went, "Go ahead. I'll do that. Do you know what I mean? I'll have a go." And I, I at least showed that I was willing to yeah. to make the effort. I had that, I had the respect for my mum to go, okay, I wouldn't want to throw it back in her face. And I went and I enjoyed it, you know, it was good. I met some sound kids there and I ended up cracking on with that career. But welding? Welding, yeah, yeah. on and off for, for a few years. And at, at certain points, I was making good money. So is this you oscillating between uh, a life of crime and trying, trying to, to be a, legit, trying to be, be legit. Straight, yeah. So every now and again, you'd have a pang of guilt, would you? Or know, you wanted, you wanted to escape the the, the rat race a, that you were in, or what? Yeah, and some of it was ego as well. Do you know, like yeah. back when you're young and all that, and you you, you, you want to be with the boys and doing all this and doing all that, and yeah, part of it was ego, part of it was um, chasing chasing the money. You know what? I, I always wanted more money, more money, more party, more drugs, more women. Holidays, cars, clothes. The fucking hell, the clothes that I was buying back then, mate. You'd spend a week's wages on a pair of trainers, do you know what I mean? What would, what would the mark from then say about the mark from now's clobber? <laughs> you seen some of the clobber <laughs> I rock around in? Positivity yeah, clobber. Positivity time, baby. Listen, I, I was rocking around in summer dressed like a full-on hippie, mate. Just like, but part of that message that I'm putting across... Of course, no, it is, works. Um, it's don't worry about what people think of you. Don't be materialistic. You don't need the Gucci, the Dior, the Pradas, the Versaces. You don't need all that, mate. You know, a lot of that's put on you, put on your back just to be like... Well, yeah. isn't that part of the power play if you're involved in the graft, right? Yeah. And the lads here to, you know, keeping up with each other. And who's, it's about keeping score, isn't it? Who's doing, yeah. the, who's doing the best and what have they got on the feet? What have they got on the back? Yeah, and you know... For me, it's a message. It was a message to the community. It's a message to the kids. You know, like, don't feel like you need to be out working all week to go and buy one t-shirt to put on your back. Look at me rocking around. How did this affect the relationship between your parents and you when they found out what you were doing? Uh, to, to be honest, my parents are being happy about the the path that I've took. Obviously, what my parents are more than happy. No, sorry, I mean, I mean, back in the day, right? Back in the day when you were, you were. I nearly lost my family, mate, through yeah. through through my own actions and through what I was doing and through the lifestyle that I took. You know, my mum was worried sick for years. She'd phone me week in, week out, crying. And is this because my dad stopped speaking to me? You is know, because the drugs you were using. Yeah, just the whole lifestyle that I was living. It wasn't just the drugs that I was using. It was the things I was doing and yeah. the people I was associating with. And like my um, 
I say lack of respect towards the family, you know. I wouldn't change nothing, mate. I wouldn't change anything that I've done in the past. I wouldn't change anywhere I've been. I'd change nothing, mate. What you regret what you regret the most from that period? Um me in responsibilities as a father. I had kids at a young age. I've got six children, three boys, three girls. By the time I was 26, I had six kids in a vasectomy. <laughs> Bam! Yeah. Eat that. Fuck that. No more of them no, coming listen, out. I, I, had, I had kids at a young age. 26, you'd, you'd done your fathering by then? Yeah, six kids. I had by the, by the age so of 26. So how old was you when you had the first, your first kid? 15. 15, yeah. wow. And like that's when my life started changing because you've got to understand, I was, I was an apprentice... I was an apprenticeship as well mm. for quite a few years earning peanuts meat and for me to provide for my children, my partner, pay me rent, have a car, run a car, pay insurance. It's a realistic plus a, problem. Plus a lifestyle that I was wrapped up in. I was earning £100 a week as an apprentice. £100 a week weren't paying for all that meat. I had, in, in, my, in my eyes then, I had no option other than sell drugs, because I was in the perfect circle to do it. I was living that lifestyle. I was around the people who were involved in that. And for me, £100 a week was impossible to live off. I, f I had, in my eyes, I had no option. Well, it's an, an entrepreneurial spirit in you, isn't it? As, you know, it took you to go out and feed your family any way that you can. If it, if it was done properly, like, my children weren't planned. I never sat down once and went, you know, I think it's about time we had a baby. It, it didn't happen like that, mate. My partner at the time would get pregnant, and by the time the pregnancies had come around, <laughs> it was too late for abortions and all that. It was yeah. like, tough shit, you're having another one. Yeah. This happened time and time again. Um, so so that, must have, that must have been a, a really crazy period for you from the age of 15 to 26, is that you're a father every couple of years. I mean, that, that yeah, must well, have look, been I, mad in itself. I didn't... Um, and people people go, why didn't you put a condom on? Look, my partner at the time had been on the depot, the implant, the coil, um, what else is there, the pill. Done all that. Had babies on all them. <laughs> every single contraception, <laughs> mate, I've had a baby on it. So... People say you didn't take the correct measures. Well, by the time I was 26, I had to get the snip. That was the measure. That was like the breaking point where I went, fucking hell, mate. I can't be having any more kids. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Life is chaos. So I never planned to have children, but they always came. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't ready. How did you manage being a dad at 15? And when, when did the next one come after that? <sighs> So, I've got, <laughs> I swear to get the ages wrong now, you know, you've not even got to go there, mate. you've not got to mess up lads. <laughs> no, um, tell me, let's focus the age on of, that. At the yeah. age of 15, like I said, my biggest regret in life is being an irresponsible father. I was out partying, staying out for days on, on end, three-day bender, no surrender. You'll find me in the kitchen with a window twitching. Do you know what I mean? That was me. I was one of them. <laughs> on a mad parrot at fucking six in the morning. That, like behind the curtains and all that. But that I lived that life, mate, for 13 years. Do you know what I mean? It was a it was a heavy episode of drug abuse. Yeah. Um, and a crazy lifestyle. Uh, the only thing I, I, I want is to be a good dad. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So to get yourself out of this cycle that you were in, that you were growing tired of, 
I have right. no choice. I had the mental breakdown. So you had a mental breakdown. So tell me about the hangover because that's what this sounds like this is. Is that is this the slow decline where your body, your mind, and your soul are saying no more, right? Now it's time for you to take a break. So tell me about that, that, that period where the walls are caving in kind of thing. You're getting paranoid. And yeah, I used to... I used to live every day in fear, every day paranoid. Uh, I couldn't hold conversation. I become unsociable. Um, my family relationships with my parents was non-existent. I'd cut ties with my sister at one point. Um, I was suffering panic attacks every day. I was in and out of hospital. I was suicidal. Um, I'd been counselling. Nearly got sectioned in London. They what wouldn't. Was that for? Um, they wouldn't really. I had a. I had a breakdown. I had a. I had a breakdown off vodka and cocaine, and I ended up suicidal in London. And they put me in the hospital. When you're not mentally stable, we need to go and put you in the St John's unit. When was this? This was two thousand and. 2018, 2017. So, so relatively recently. Yeah, and I only ever ended up getting a section because my mum had been a nurse for that many years. She come from Liverpool to London and she sat down with the with the consultants in the hospital and went, look, I'm going to be his 24-7 carer and assistant. He's going to come back to Liverpool with me. He's not going to the unit. Only for a, a medical career. She saved you. She saved me getting sections, yeah. And to be honest... Is this when you were still estranged from your mother? Or, or, you, or did you healed the relationship at this point? It weren't fully healed. But she came anyway. But she came, mate, yeah. I'm a son. Yeah, of course. And she obviously loved me every day, do you know what I mean? And I put them through a lot of heartache and a lot of a lot of stress. Do you regret that? Yeah, I've got, like, you, 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 I say I've got no regrets mm. in the past. I, of course, my family suffered due to my actions. I've learned lessons now due to my actions and the suffering I've caused them. That makes me content with what I'm doing today, mm-hmm. which is trying to make them proud as parents and be a proud dad and you know be a be a family man and do good for people around me, do good for the city, do things mm-hmm. that'll make them go, oh yeah, well look, you know, I've never been a bad person. Do you think that that moment when your mum came to rescue you? Do you think that was the beginning of? you climbing out of the pit um, or do you still have a further to go down yeah no I still have further to go I still had a lot of I still have more partying in me and like that goes to show where my head was at you know what I mean mm. I still uh, I still woke up probably I think I'd done three months in the house didn't leave the house for three months after London I went through my suicidal phases um, my anxiety was, was next level trying to get put on prescription from the doctors, which I'd always, always turned down. Even my mum was like that, you need this prescription. I was like, no, I'm not having no, because I had addictive personality. I knew if I got started taking medication, it was going to be another problem for me. So I avoided that. And I never actually knew what was going to fix these issues. And I ended up jumping on a plane and I went over and met my sister in Dubai. My sister was in Dubai for seven years working as an air hostess and I took myself to Dubai for, I was out there for about nine months and I trained, um, I trained in Dubai all the time. I used to fly back. There's no drugs in Dubai, is there? Unless you know where to look. 
<laughs> it didn't take you long, did it? <laughs> drugs are everywhere, mate. You know, these places you think that it's a, uh, it's not. It fucking is, mate. Mm. Drugs are everywhere, lad. Believe mm. me. But that was another, that was another party lifestyle that I, f- I got wrapped up in. In Dubai. Yeah. So how long was you there? About nine months. Okay. Party dad there. Uh, Why did you come back? Did you get chased I, out I, or did I, you run out I of sta- money? I, sta- I, started, I started questioning where I was going in life at this point. Okay. Like, what am I I was, what am I doing? Where am I going? Do you know what I mean? I had my kids back home. Part of the reason I left was because I wasn't allowed access to my kids for a period of time because myself and my ex-partner, things become unstable, do you know what I mean? And... I was unstable. I don't yeah. blame her for, for, for putting the barrier up and going, look, you're not in the right place to see them. You know, you need to get yourself sorted. How long did that go on for? I'd had issues, issues on and off with my kids, like being allowed access for, for a couple of years, to be honest. That was hard for me, do you know what I mean? I love my kids. Was it was it a temper issue? Was it you losing your head? I mean, what was what was the... I think, I think a lot of the issues and the barriers that went up between... Myself and my kids was the issues that myself and she had. Mm. Um, and I don't like using the phrase, use the kids as weapons, but when you're emotionally yeah. unstable, it's easy for a mum to go, stay away from us, you're not seeing us. And if you turn up, I'm going to phone the police. And if you turn up and she phones the police, you, you go, fucking hell. So Is this what happened? That had happened. Yeah. So for me... To carry on persistently turning up and uh, meeting that negative energy, it was, I was wasting my time. I knew I knew that was only going to get healed over time. Mm-hmm. I knew that my access to my children was only going to come back over time. And we are where we are now. I can phone her and go, how are you? You're okay. The kids all right. Yeah, it's sound. Do you want to speak to them? Boom. Everything's cool. So but you, back then... You've healed that wound. Yeah, I've healed that issue. Yeah. I had a lot of accepting, I had a lot of learning to, to do throughout the um, the mistakes and the father figure that I was. Like like I said before, my main regret growing up was being an irresponsible father. And you know, you can I can put myself in a mother's shoes. I can put myself in her shoes and look at the way I, I was acting and the lifestyle I was living and the way I was being. And I can understand why that prevention was put in place. Because do you think it was one of the reasons for this is because you were such a young father because yeah. you're still dealing with your own maturity listen, that I was never read I listen yeah. I knew growing up I was a party animal I wanted to I wanted to be doing all the summer seasons I did go and do a summer season in yeah. Ibiza yeah. that was one of the things that I wanted to do and I went and done it um, I was never ready to be a dad I wasn't mature enough I wasn't growing up enough I'd never planned it and I, I didn't accept it for a long time, for many years. So you were running away from your responsibilities somewhat as well. Definitely, mate, yeah. yeah. For, me to, for me to go to the pub on a Friday night and come back on a Sunday, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. Mm. Because I'd always say to myself, oh, well, I never asked for these kids. But that was the wrong mentality to have. Mm. But now I'm older and I've learned from the way that I've been in the past. You're mature, aren't you? I'm mature, mate, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a man now. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a man. I'm a dad. I'm responsible. I'm doing good things. Um, and that's it, mate. It's just, it's just part and parcel of of growing up and, you know, learning from, learning lessons. There's loads of lessons in life. Everyone learns lessons in life. It's just how you, how you deal with them and where you come to from 
It's how you react, isn't it? From mistakes that you've made yeah. and becoming aware. Because I, I wasn't aware of my issues for years. Mm. It's only when the door slams shut on your face and you go, wow. Mm. So take me, take me to the, the belly of the beast, the darkest moment. You know, when it was... You know, when you was desperate for a way out. You know, when you'd ha done your partying, basically, and you, there was nothing left. So 2000 and 2019, the, the final straw for me on my breakdown was only in December last year. Um, I've been having me consistent panic attacks, anxiety attacks, the depression. When you say depression, describe what you mean by that. Existence, what am I doing here? You're not happy with anything. You're waking up every day, you're crying. You feel like this life isn't for you. You've got no no meaning of existence, but you can't explain why you feel that way. The helplessness. Yeah, helpless. You, know, you feel like no one understands your issues. No one around you can help you. You can't turn and talk to anyone because no one's going through what you're going through. You're lost. You're lost in this world of craziness. Um, no matter who you've got around you, you feel you feel gone, mate. You don't feel like like you serve a purpose, and you know emotionally, physically, mentally broken. Uh, no routine. And for me, I think when these panic attacks started happening and the anxiety attacks, and I was in and out the hospital, you know. I'd start getting like flutters in my heart and I'd be thinking I'm going to have heart attacks and then before you know it, you're on the floor and you can't breathe and you know, you get a headache and you think you've got a tumour. Like crazy stuff, mate, yeah? Just just nothing but worry and fear. Mm. Your subconscious is there, just like you're living in fight or flight every single day. After doing that for a period of time, you're going to break. And I did, I broke. I broke in December. Like I said, I started having these panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and for me it was, how am I gonna get my life back on track? What what can I do to fix my life? Because I knew for one, I had to stop drinking. I had to stop taking cocaine. I had to stop smoking. I had to stop hanging around and associating with the people that I've been hanging around with. How did you feel about that? How did you feel about breaking those relationships? People you, you've partied with for a long time, you've had close relationships, you know, through three-day benders. And how did you... By this time in 2000... You're ready to let them by go? By the end of 2019, I'd already cut a lot of ties, to be honest. There was still a few people who I would knock around with and I'd go for a bevy with and all that. But for me, it got to the point where I had no choice. I was suicidal. Um, the only reason I'd never took them steps is because of my children. Mm. But I've been, I've been on the edge, do you know what I mean, a few times. And it was just my kids. I thought, my kids don't deserve this. And I even thought, there's people out there who probably expect me to do that. I'm not letting them see me break, do you know what I mean? Do, do you think there's some people who are justified in, in, in thinking like that? Is there people who you think that you may have regret the way you've treated them over the in the past? That they've, that, you know they would be justified in thinking like that, or not? I just think, I don't really know. Mm. I don't know, mate. Okay, so, so the transformation has been rapid and fantastic. So take us to that positive moment. Take us to the, the transformation. 
was the it? transformation. We'll, we'll, if you want to call the transformation, the awakening, yeah, which is what saved me, yeah, is um, I was suffering from the stress, the depression, the anxiety. I was suffering from PTSD from a from an accident that I'd been in in Leeds, where I was in a boat that capsized in the river, and my mate ended up drowning. I ended up escaping out of this boat upside down, getting sucked, when was this? getting sucked under a weir. This was a couple of years back. I can't tell you the date exactly. It's all there's publishings in the in Echo and not the Echo, uh, the Leeds newspaper. Tell me, tell me about what happened. I was working on a flood defence scheme in Leeds, and we'd been sent in a in a boat to go and retrieve a fire, a life a life safety ring, and a gas bottle from underneath this weir that was just bouncing up and down. The reason we were retrieving it is because there was a Sky documentary channel coming to me. Obviously, get clips and make a documentary on this flood defence scheme that the government had invested so much money in um, to assist in the flooding and the water levels in Leeds. Anyway, we got sent in to go under this weir and to collect these these items that were bouncing up and down. So myself and, and another lad who sadly lost his life, we went out on the boat. And it was only a little dinghy with a little single motor on the back, of one of the little propellers. And the closer we got to the weir, the stronger the current got because of the circulation under the water. It started dragging the boat underneath the water. So 20 foot above us, all this water's coming over. Just mad crazy. And we got to the point where the boat ended up sideways. So we were parallel to the water coming over the top. We had no control. We couldn't turn right. We couldn't turn left. We were fucked. So as the boat got closer, I knew it was fight. I knew that then it was jump and swim, or stay in and drown. Fucking hell! And literally, as soon as that water hit the left-hand side of the boat, the boat flipped up, flipped the lad out, and I managed to just like if you can imagine a horse jumping over a uh, over a fence on the Grand National. <laughs> I was gone, mate. Boom! Out the right-hand side of this boat. And the boat flipped up. My mate ended up underneath the boat, underneath the weir. He ended up dying. Wow. Um, and I managed to, I was getting sucked under the water. I had all my clothes on, all my gear and everything. It was just dead heavy. Um, so I kept getting sucked under, kept coming out, getting my breath. And I'll go back under. And I'll be like that under the water going, fucking hell, mate. I was like, no way. I get my breath again. And I'd be back under, and I managed to just, I don't even know how I got out, mate. God had me that day, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He had me back, he, he, he pulled me out of there. And uh, I managed to swim out. And obviously, uh, well, by the time I got out of the current and turned around on my back, I'd seen my mate was there in the water getting through around. The boat was bouncing everywhere. And I got PTSD off that. I go to bed at night time and put my head down and I think I was drowning. I just picture myself in the boat getting flipped up again. Do you know what I mean? So I started suffering PTSD as well as all the other issues in life that I had going on. Still battling addiction, still battling stress, still battling depression. Then PTSD on top of that. So I had the whole catalogue of mental health issues going on at once. Um, a lot of them self-inflicted through through a lifestyle that I chose to lead. You know what I mean? So I was the author of my own book. I'd accepted that. Um, 
and this leading on to 2019, where I started having my breakdown and stuff, I'd accepted the fact that I was suffering from these mental health adversities. I, I knew, I convinced myself, when I've got to learn to live with this for the rest of my life, which I couldn't stand, mm. which made me more depressed. I was like, more suicidal, do you know what I mean? I was just, fucking hell, this is this what life's about. And um, I started going down the beach. When when uh, when this tier three, uh, not tier three, when this coronavirus, when the first lockdown come in, was it May? You can't leave the house. I was like, fuck off, mate. <laughs> like, I'm not staying in the house, mate. No chance, not after what I've just been through. I'm getting out, like. Yeah. And I started going down the beach. Which Taking beach? Crosby Beach. High Town, Formby, Freshfield, yeah. Crosby. And I literally just took my shoes and socks off. And this is before I even knew what grounding was. Wow. Taking my shoes and socks off, walking down the beach, sitting on the sand dunes, watching sunsets, closing my eyes. I just sit there for hours, mate. Just sit there at one with myself, with no one around. And I started feeling good. After a couple of days, I'd be like, fucking hell, sound down there, mate. Started staying down there longer, doing little bonfires. The moon would be out, the stars would be out, I'd be on my back. Just like that, just sat there, just at one with nature, do you know what I mean? At one with nature, at one with myself. No. What do you think drew you to that? Mate, the beach has been on my doorstep for years. Okay. I've never appreciated it once. Yeah. I never really connected with nature. I never really connected with energies. I never... Do you think there was another force at play here with you then, rather than... If if, if you've been on the beach your entire life, be living in high town. Well, no, the beach, the beach had been on my doorstep. The only reason I'd be down the beach is to take a dog for a walk. Or when I was a young kid, we used to play out down the beach. But mm. when I started becoming an adult, and I was always in the boozer party, you know, and I never... That's what I'm saying. So why do you think you were drawn to the beach? Because it, it was on my doorstep. It yeah. was easy for me. It was easy access. I used to walk out the door, and five minutes later, I'm on the sand. Do you know what I mean? But this, the beach become my healing ground. The beach started healing me from... But that's what I mean. Why Why do you think... Because you were in this dark place where you were only sinking, right? The only place you were going was down. What do you think it was that said, that's the place where I'm going to go and find myself and, and bring myself out of this I think, dark period? I don't think... I, I think because the beach was an option because it was on my doorstep, it's the first place I went to because I'd sooner walk around the sand and on the beach on a sunny day than walk around the streets. Because it sounds to me like you, you went to go and sit with yourself and, and you know find out who you were or talk to yourself in a, in a, in a, um, you know, a quiet, silent so, place of solitude. Yeah, it was nice down there, me, yeah. listening to the birds, tweeting, see the families with all the kids and all that. And I used to take my kids down there. It was just a nice, peaceful place. And obviously, the more time that I spent down the beach, I, I, start, by the beach. I started yeah. interacting with people. And like, when you see young lads like myself, young girls, other people, they'd be like little bonfires dotted around the place. I'd be like that with my music strapped to me back with the tunes on. Started feeling all good about life. It's like, what's happening? How are you? What are you doing? And they're like, no, I'm just chilling, having a bonfire. Chill with us if you want. I'm like, yeah, Sam, go ahead. Because I haven't been socialising with new people for a long time. I started hanging around with awakened people. Okay. People who were also down the beach, who'd go down there to watch sunsets, sit under the moon and stars. They were feeling the energies of full moons, 
full moon gatherings and all that started coming into play. I started knocking around with like hippies, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Doing bonfires, meeting people. And this girl said to Brilliant. me, she went, do you know what, Mark? She went, have you ever done psychedelics? And I went, nah, I've never done them, you know. So that's something I've always been a bit wary of because I've heard stories about bad trips and, you know, if you're not in the right place, you're going to go weird wavy off them. <coughs> so for me, I'd always avoided them, but she turned around to me and the one thing she said to me, which flicked the switches, they heal all sorts of issues, these, you know. I went, like what? She went, PTSD, depression, addiction. And I went, I went, dude. <laughs> and like, it couldn't have come at a more perfect time for yeah. me because I'd gone through all the suicidal episode leading into 2020. Um, I was dealing with me addiction. So like I wasn't using drugs. I'd stopped drinking booze and that um, as much as what I used to. And to me, it just went... I need to try these. I need to see what they're about. And I got a couple of grams off some kid and went... Oh, mushies. Mushrooms. Yeah. I just went and sat on a sand dune and just went... And is this the first time you've taken mushrooms? Yeah. First time I took them. First time I took them. Amazing. I made to sat there on this sand dune. Yeah. I had a fucking scream. But I got connected as well, do you know what I mean? Um, so did you feel as if you'd expanded your consciousness for the first time? Yeah, and what what had actually happened is because I'd been in a fight or flight mode for so many years and been suffering with the paranoia and the depression, part of part of your brain goes dormant when you're in these um, psychological states of mind. Your brain becomes dormant, and only certain channels of your brain will connect mm -hmm. with each other. Mm -hmm. So, for me, I had just reactivated my brain, mm -hmm. just gone, and I just fucking went from being depressed and sad and all this. I haven't had anxiety, mate, since that day. Well, you know, psychedelics are a really... I haven't had, I haven't had anxiety. misused I haven't know, had depression. I've had no PTSD. Yeah. Um, so there's three massive things that's healed for me, just off... And I've probably done them a handful of times. Well, there was a, there was a study. There was a study recently where doctors in America were given terminal patients, right, who had no prospect of surviving whatever illness they had. They had less than three months to live, and they gave them magic mushrooms. They said you can you can choose the dose what you want. And they've done a big study, right, and all these people with terminal illnesses, there was no hope. Give them magic mushrooms, right? And almost everybody on that study came back from those experiences and had lost the fear of death, right? And it made their experience and their and their um, final days here far more pleasant and far more, you know, uh, reasonable, right? So it was a, a really successful study, and you know, it was suppressed and we haven't really heard much about it since but psychedelics have an incredible healing power and it's really unfortunate that we live in a society that classes them as a class a drug yeah the, the government have done that for a specific reason though haven't they because they knows it makes people more conscious now for me um psychedelics i'd never advise anybody to take them unless it was under them for, for medical reasons. Now, if someone came up to me and asked me about them, I'd never advise them to, to do anything. I'd just tell them what they done for me. 
what you do for you is down to you. But what they've done for me is this, this, and this. So however you want to take it, that's your decision, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't worry about that. It's, it's you know, that people make their own decisions in life and they've got to take, be responsible for what they do. You know, but I think psychedelics definitely have been demonized, right, 100%, and, and we're discovering now through books like Breaking Open the Head by Daniel Pinchbeck, it was written in 2002, and he popularized and brought to the attention of Western culture, you know, ayahuasca, iboga, DMT, mescaline, all these, you know, fantastic psychedelic substances that are a gift from nature. <coughs> and a, so wake your ass up. And a presence all over the world. Is that, you know, there's, there's been an, an awakening in a sense of people wanting to explore other realms Put of consciousness and seeing what's behind the curtain, right? Because, you know, we asked ourselves a question, don't we? What's going on? Why are we here? What's the nature of reality? And it's very difficult to try and figure it out sometimes. And what psychedelics can do is give you an insight into another realm, right? Yeah. Depending on what you take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> all that group down by the beach, I'm guessing, are cosmic scousers. They've been referred to it as that. I love that term, right? Cosmic I love scousers. that term. It's like a new genre. How are we? <laughs> I like just had a bit with these cosmic <laughs> scousers. But it's like a new genre of scousers that we haven't had before. It's a whole new genre. And, you know, I think it's defined a little bit about by groups of, uh, you know, people from Liverpool who take DMT and other... But look, you've got yeah. kids who go to boozers. Yeah. They get pissed. They go on benders. They sniff cocaine. They fucking sniff and ket. They're doing all that. Exactly. Or you've got kids who are going down a beach and having a bommy. Might have a little joint and have some mushies. I don't even think they're comparable. I don't even think they're in, they're not even in the same league. For me, yeah. after being such an avid cocaine user mm -hmm. back when I was younger and growing up, to someone now who's probably done psychedelics a handful of times, because I would never let myself get addicted to any sort of substance or anything. And I'd never use anything. But they're not addictive. I wouldn't use, I wouldn't use something... Um, Unless See, it was for medical grounds. For me, psychedelics are not recreational drugs. They're like a they religious... They get used recreationally, though, you know. But they're like a religious sacrament. Yeah, they are, mate. That, that's for the people like myself who are, who are actually, like, spiritual, who respect them, who yeah. use them under the proper measures. There is people out there who do use them recreationally, which I don't... Mm. I don't I don't stand for me to mm. think they're there. They're a medicine. Yeah. You know, you use these as part of your healing journey. You use these if you want to overcome the adversities. Don't be fucking throwing these about like like they're just a little bit of fun, mate. Respect them, do you know what I mean? So when was this then? May. Round about May. May. Well, I'll tell you when it was. You know, and for anyone who's at home, if you go on my Instagram profile, <laughs> the, right, the video I deleted everything from my past, uh. yeah? And the very first post you'll find, if you scroll all the way through, I think I've got like 900 posts. If you go to number one, yeah? There's a picture of me like this on the beach. And then I just put, <laughs> if you know, you, you know. know. Because at that time, I was on my first psychedelic trip and I was looking at my hand and it was all like mm. wavy and all that. And I was just like mesmerized by it. And all the marin grass was all floating. And I was like, wow. And the birds and the flies and all that were coming and everything was dead enhanced. Mm. For me to be experienced that, I was like, Wow, this is crazy. So this catapults you into a whole new world, whole new people, whole new ideas, yeah. motives, 
you know, dreams, desires, and all of a sudden Mark reinvents himself, or do you find you you were originally? No, that 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 day, that day triggered me to want to bring people together onto the beach to heal. Did you find because your purpose in that moment because you've been lost? I was then at a point where I'd met a couple of people who were down there healing. These people used to say to me, oh, there's loads of people like us, you know, there's just loads of different groups all over Liverpool. And I was like, why aren't we all together? If we're all on a healing journey and we're all doing positive things to move forward in life and have a, a new outlook on life, why don't we Why don't we all come together and, and do the journey together? We'll all do massive bonfires. So that for me triggered me to go, we need to bring people together. And I started setting up and posting stuff on my Instagram, like little right. events, mm. bombing on, on the beach, uh, full moon parties, went to the Lake District, we'd done like a wild camping event there. And before you know it, mate, there was 200 people, just 200 people who were all like, yeah, what's happening, man, how are we, you cool and all. I was like, yeah, we're good. And like a lot of these people have been through similar lifestyles and down the similar roads to what, what myself have been around, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They weren't like little divvies, they were like people who generally wanted to better themselves and have a better outlook on life and they didn't want to be wrapped up in that lifestyle anymore, do you know what I mean? A lot of these people were still suffering from anxiety, depression, they were still stressed, they were still coming to terms with themselves, but they put themselves around like-minded people it were all positive. It was like it was like a community. Well, it was a community. Yeah. Now, now awakening souls events is just one big community. So, so when did you get the when did you get the inspiration to set up awakened souls events? When did that come about? That come about as it started off as a, as a full moon event down the beach in the middle of the summer. Well, the beginning of summer. And I was like, I had a couple of close mates around me. There was a couple of new people that I'd met by going down the beach. And I was like, come here, let's all go and have a big full moon party. We'll do a big massive bommy. We'll chill out, watch the sunset. We'll put some music on and we'll just camp. Mm. So that like the whole bonfire music and camping thing become like an event package. Mm. And it was free. It's just like, we're going here. This is what we're doing. If you want to come, come. You know where we are. There's the old school illegal raves, isn't it? Back there, in the nineties. There's <laughs> the lo there's the location. There's the pin yeah. drop. More the merrier. Make sure you bring a good vibe. No, no coke welcome. No cat welcome. No booze. How did you police that? Self police, mate. Was by it? by like minded people. Yeah. We didn't want to be around the cocaine, the the, the booze, and the, the the hard drugs because what you find is when people are intoxicated or people are on cocaine. They change the personality and the demeanor changes. And that's when trouble starts happening. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. In my eyes. Mm. And in a lot of people's eyes. Mm. We were getting there just to get connected. I know you don't get any kickoffs, do you, when people are on mushrooms? Nah. You know, it's all a, a peace and love vibe, isn't it? Everyone's laughing, joking, and hugging and having a great time, generally. Mate, it's fucking boss. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, this is this is great. So you're pulling yourself out, you've found yourself, you know, you've got a new direction in life, you've got a new company. Yeah, and, and everything's going great. And I've seen some amazing videos of um, where you were on the beach and there's like 700 people there and doing yeah. circuits and meditation and fucking Yeah, that amazing. was like, a, that was the, the three amigos. That's where myself, Mark Scano and Martin Bone teamed up. How did you meet 
those two guys? Tell me a little bit about them. So I met Mark Scano because when I started pulling loads of people down to the beach and that, I always I always want to go bigger, louder, <laughs> more people. Do you know what I mean? That's what I, I, I get passion off, bringing good people together and bringing crowds in. And I'd always had a passion for music. So there was a forest off the Formby Bypass, which I had access to. I wanted to do a festival there, which I couldn't go ahead with because of obviously these restrictions and all that bullshit. Was this hippies in the woods? Hippies in the woods, yeah. yeah. So I needed security for hippies in the woods. And my mate, good mate of mine, Mick Williams, shout out to Mick, he's a cool dude, he's been uh-huh. by my side, he's been pulling me out of a few holes. Um, Mick went, I've got a mate there, I'll introduce you to him, he's about all what you're about and all that. I went, cool, who is he? He went, Scano, like phone Scano, what's happening now, how are you? I need to speak to you about some security and that for an event. Yeah, cool, come down the office. So I went down and that and like sat down with Scano and he was like, I want to change the city. And I was like, so do I. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me about yourself, tell me about yourself. He started telling me about wealth, uh, awake, about doing all the self-development, you know, with the kids, about setting up his new centres around the Liverpool, uh, about doing the yoga. He's doing something fantastic, isn't he, with uh, helping kids learn meditation and yoga and, and tapping into their, you know, their inner consciousness. Yeah, because he's, he's actually already in placements in schools around... Merseyside so he's already interacting with youngsters before they take the turn if you want to call it that so he's already active in the schools he's got kids who are coming now to his yoga studios and he does all the self-development the mindfulness um, the nutrition Mm -hmm. he teaches them just about health and you know being at one with themselves from a young age but Mark phoned me and he went I need you to meet someone are you free? I went, yeah, I'm free. Where are we going? Sefton Park, meet us down there. So we turned up, and that's when he brought Martin Bone with him. I was like, what's happening, Marty, and all that? So we started talking about, obviously, what I, I'd started making a bit of noise in the city by now because mm. people were all latching onto these events that were coming. Yeah. I had people coming with flamethrowers and everything down the beach. I had DJs, the police were turning. Glastonbury. It was, mate, yeah. It was like, it was like the talk of the city, yeah. and it was boss, and yeah. it was like... All cool people coming to do cool stuff. The police had tried to shut us down. I'd be like, nah, mate, you're not shutting us down. We're all here for our mental health, mate. We're all here healing. We're doing yoga and meditation. <laughs> like, And we're not even drinking. Yeah. Leave us, no, al- no leave us alone. We're not even doing nothing wrong. Do you know what I mean? So like, we had that little bit of beef with the police for a bit. They were knocking on the door and all that, and then nothing happened. But when, he met, when I met Mark and Martin... That's when we started talking about, go on, what can we do then? What can we do together to help help the city? Do you know what I mean? So Mark had a week that was coming up. Martin Bone had Planet Yoga and I had a week on Souls events. So Martin Bone, he's like a meditation, yoga... He's the scouts guru, isn't he? Right, okay, yeah. He gets, he, he, I've done a couple of courses with him. Yeah. To be honest, he's, he's unbelievable. Like He changes lives. He gets people in to Planet Yoga and he does all the... All the mindful stuff with them it teaches them about meditation and connecting with yourself um, and overcoming adversities. He's got he's got a lot of coping mechanisms. He's got a lot of different structured courses for different things in place. What people can go and do, and I've done them. And uh, I've done a, I've done one. I've done one and then done some some other stuff with him, like one to one stuff. But 
he's just a he's a powerful inner I don't know what's the word. He's a guru, and he's just So there was a fusion that was created between the three of you there and, and then what the was the amigos, what was the brainchild of that? What came out of that? Well, Martin Bone, the first time I went and done anything with Martin Bone, we were jumping in the Albert Dock of a morning. I got it, he invited me, he went, we're going to jump in the Albert Dock on Thursday or whatever it was, six o'clock, I was like, oh, it sound. And I went down and I went, wow, there's like 25 people, 30 people there. And because I was bringing in the big numbers for the beach events and the Sefton Park and stuff, I went, mate, I went, we could get loads of people here, you know, I'll put it on my platform. It's like all right sound. So the next week I put it on my platform. We went to Crosby Beach. About 150 people turned up. For the first event. And then <laughs> after that it was like we'll be back next week. And then it was like three hundred people. And then we ended up in five weeks. I think we had like seven, eight hundred people down there. Where where were they coming from? Was this people who were who were desperate because they were in lockdown and this was a way to express themselves or or to you know to escape the you know the imprisonment that they've been put under. I think I think there was a big cry out for active support at this point in the city. Seven hundred and fifty people is a lot of people to be going down to. Yeah, a but beach look, event, we have people it? coming at five down in the from morning. Burnley, uh, and Manchester, and Leeds. There was people coming down from other cities. We were coming down the beach. We had the, the generator. We had the decks. Louis we go beard, jump out of the van and all that. And start like knocking out tunes. <laughs> Mark would do the circuit, uh, Martin would be there, we'd do a, like, a big massive group meditation or breathing exercise, and then we'd all go and do a big a big swim, we'd all just strip off and run into the sea, mm. and that was it mate, we'd be back on the beach, we'd dry off, and then people would go to work, and it was called the ultimate morning, and it was the ultimate morning, and basically saving lives. And why is this stopped? Because of the council mate. Council just went, nah, you can't do that. It's not Why? safe. And what was the reason? Social distancing, people going in the... Um, but how can you, so, you, you mean on the beach? Social, social, distancing. social distancing, risk, uh, the risk factor about people going swimming in the sea. They didn't want people getting washed out and caught in, tar- in the riptides and that. Um, but and, then this, and, then the, and then the COVID, the whole COVID aspect of things. Do you think they were just trying to stop people having fun? I mean, that sounds ridiculous. What you can't go to the beach. I mean, how, how can how can that be? You know, dangerous going to the beach. It's only as dangerous as any other time going to the beach, isn't it? I don't know the ins and outs. So when are you starting it up again? Mate, I'll be there tomorrow. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But um. I'm not the one who calls all the shots. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that's a predicament what I'm in now. I'm not the one. It's not all down to me to make the decision. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's got to be a decision that's made at the right time by the right people, and it's got to be an agreement that's made. Now they've put in measures that have said like, if you come back with a with a proper risk assessment and the health and safety issues are all underlined. There's a possibility that you know we could get up and running. I know all the residents around there were kicking off because there would be 700 cars turning up, mate, at early in the morning, and the tunes were going boom, boom, boom. Do you know what I mean? It was it was all over the papers and all over the news. It had a ripple effect. There's people down south who were like doing what we were doing up here. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But I think I think if we would have turned up the week after, we'd have had over a thousand people there. Mm. 
What do you think they could have done to stop you? I mean, what, what practically could they have done? I mean, how can they ban you going to a beach? I mean, what was it? Were they threatening you with fines? With was Awaken Soul the organizer? I mean, who no, was the one in the I, final line? No, it was like a, it was like a, a trio. I weren't dealing. I never dealt with the with the council on that event. Okay. I didn't deal with them. It went down to me to call the shots. The, the yes or the no, um, and it wasn't under. And I mean, that's the height of totalitarianism, isn't it? The height of it is that you can't go to the beach. But didn't you hear that they tried to shut the beaches? <laughs> Mate, I'm telling you, <laughs> when we went and done a litter pick, when, yeah. all the, when all the ferns <clears throat> were turning up in the summer, obviously barbecues, everyone's having a bevy, families coming down and all that, they were leaving shit everywhere. So we'd be going down there. I think we had like 120 people one day just litter picking. Is this where the litter picking project grew from from your beach community being upset at your community yeah. being yeah. you know vandalized yeah because we'd take the kids down there and they'd be smashed glasses and smashed bottles and there'd be boxes everywhere there'd be all the gas canisters where they'd be on the balloons mm. there's just shit everywhere mate honestly it was disgusting it was it was bad like it's a wider problem isn't it the litter it's, the litter on the beach was a was an issue and, yeah. I, and like we were trying to put a message out, look, if you're going down the beach to have a good time, go and have a good time, but just take your shit away, take some bin bags with you and get your rubbish and go with it. Uh, Don't did leave it. listen? They, yeah, they did, they did, yeah, mm. they did. We, but we tidied the beach. Kirby Skips donated two eight-ton skips to us. Wow. We turned up with, like, a proper firm of good souls. And was this, it was this all your beach crew? Yeah, this was all the beach crew and the community and all that that started coming together over the events that have been getting put on. So, so as one project closed the beach, another one began, which is the litter picking. Well, we were doing beach events, we were doing park events, we were doing litter picking events. Um, we were just doing gatherings. Did you ever see yourself? Sharing circles where people would come and sit down and we'd just talk about life, talk about issues i done cocaine anonymous gatherings where invited people in the city you had cocaine issues well listen come to sefton park and we'll sit down if you're willing to talk talk because i've been there and i've got friends who've been there and i've got people who can show you coping mechanisms how to get over these addictions so started bringing people to sefton park and we just sit down in a little circle it's a nice sunny day and we'd all talk about our drug problems and, and like the council have stopped all this well, now you can't meet up with people outside your, your home. And uh. The reason this has stopped mainly now from for us is because it's winter and it's cold and it's dark. Mm. And the mission now is save our city, innit? Mm -hmm. That's the mission that all my focus and all my attention's on at the minute. I haven't done an Awakened Souls event. Um, when was the last one? Can't even remember the last one. We all rocked, we all rocked up at Liverpool 1 one day. <laughs> 200 with us at Liverpool one mate and they yeah. tried to kick us out of there saying like we couldn't stay in the, in the Shavas Park and we were like mate we're not moving mm. we're all we're all healing we're doing yoga and meditation <laughs> doing yoga doing yoga and meditation and then we're going <laughs> I was like we're not partying we're not yeah. drinking I was like we're just healing mm. do you know what I mean and we got away with it they, 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 they couldn't move us they tried to move us and we refused to move and we stayed and we just done our healing packed up and bailed we bought a few gazebos and that so anywhere we went we just throw the gazebos up we get all the sound healing instruments out and just start knocking a few frequencies through people mm. done a big event down at the pier head 
outside the Lava Buildings. We done the Liverpool litter pick, you know, after Liverpool won. And the Pierhead got absolutely trashed. We rocked up there like seven o'clock in the morning, 50 of us, and just cleared up all the Pierhead. That was a big operation. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen the pictures of uh, of you doing that on your Instagram, but I remember it after after the event. It was a bit of a... It was a bit of a uh, mad, mad night, wasn't it? But I'm a little bit like, well, what do you expect of thousands of football fans coming to an, a, a place like that, getting smashed? I mean, we won the league, mate. I know, that just, it, you know what I mean? It's not going to happen, and it's it's crazy to think that people would do that. It's like you know, and they the go thing, to a festival, they're going to pick the cans up. No, and we actually, I actually said that I I, I had an yeah. interview on the radio, and I went look. I said, any city, mate, that wins the league, yeah. that's going to happen. I said, but instead of shedding a negative light on the, on the mess that the, was it left. It got cleaned. I said, we turned up and yeah. cleaned it all up, mate, yeah. and that's it, and that's how it should be left. Yeah. Just go, look, Definitely. they made the mess, and they tidied up after themselves. Definitely. And that was that. It went down well. Okay, then. Um, thanks for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. Um, what does the future hold, Mark? I mean, where are we at? Where are we going? What are you... What are your thoughts on what's so, next? I've got a few things that I want to do, obviously. The mental health and well-being centre that I need to get all set up, which I've got a partner who I'm involved with, who's been by my side for, for since this journey began, really. And his life's changed around as well. So we've got a unit that we're going to get our own studio in. We're going to get a, a mezzanine floor in there. We're going to get it all decorated and make it nice and natural. Invite all the local school kids to come in so that we can do self-development courses with the kids. We're going to do adult self-development courses, do the hot yoga, um, do the circuits, do the nutrition programs. We're going to run all our community-based operations from there. So we'll continue full-time to do the helping the homeless and the litter-picking. So they'll get done, and we'll obviously be running the, the food bank permanently for all of the mums and the kids who are suffering in the city. As long as the donations keep coming in, we'll keep providing them, do you know what I mean? But I want to have proper teams who I can employ on a full-time basis to be out doing all these good things in the city. And another thing for me, which is part of my dream, is to get into doing the healing events, doing the retreats. So I want to run retreats where people can come, small intimate groups. We'll eat 100% plant-based foods, have smoothies, we'll do sound healing, we'll do yoga, we'll do meditation, we'll do bonfires, and we'll just have nice nice music and acoustic singers and um, guitarists playing on the event. I want to do the, the festivals, so I want to be getting thousands of people together for the for the festivals, um, in the fields, and just do it all, just all good vibe stuff, mate. You know what I mean? I'm all, I love the music, mate. What about save our city? What's your focus there? I mean, hopefully we'll try and get this edited tonight and published. Hopefully tonight. Isn't there something happening tomorrow, thirty first of October, in Liverpool? Oh, save our city. T tomorrow night, you mean? Tomorrow in Liverpool, is, isn't there a march? The march, yeah, we've yeah. got the march. 
Well, save our city's going to be, like I said, it's very early days, isn't it? With save mm. our city, what have we been up and running for three, 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 weeks. three weeks? And I mean, save our city is very much about all the city coming together for our freedom, isn't it? Mm. So this is going to continue for me full time till we get to where we need to get at. Till we're free. Till we're free. As far as the future, it's never ending, isn't it? Mm. If we're doing good things for the city, what would you ask people to do tomorrow if we can get this episode out in time and i hope we can right is that hopefully some people will see this tonight tomorrow um you know would you ask people to come down and and attend the march what details have you got about it so that anyone wants to anyone wants to come do you know where to go so we've got we're gonna do the march from saint george's which has become our prime location hasn't it for for meeting except this time we're gonna do the march instead of the standing rally and for me, I'd love the people who are who are awake, who are like-minded, who all want the freedom of the city, who all want our younger generation to have better lives. Everybody who wants the suffering that's happening now, forget the petty issues, forget all these issues that everyone's having on these online social media platforms. Forget it. Come together, shoulder to shoulder. Let's be strong. Let's unite. If there's any differences that people do have, if there's things that they don't agree on, let's talk face to face about it. Let's, it's all about solutions. Let, let's have solutions instead of creating problems because there's a lot of people. And to keep a lot of people going in the same direction, it's hard, isn't it? Mm, really but is. if it's you stay, like, it's like herding cats. If you stay positive, and you look for solutions, not problems. I believe it can be done, and it's about unity. It's about coming together. That's what this is. That's what we need as a city right now. We need to come together. You know, if a word doesn't match your um, required preference on a poster, we can change it. But don't kick up a massive fuss about it. Let's let's meet up and talk. You know, I want what's best for the city. I want what's best for the people. So do you. So there's a lot of other people out there. And that's the bottom line, mate. I couldn't agree more with you, Mark. And it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. I've fully enjoyed it. And it's been great to hook up with you recently. And mm-hmm. long may it continue. Thanks for coming on, mate. I appreciate Eating it. cool cats every yeah, week. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Boss. Cheers. Oh, if anyone wants to find you, where can they find your work? At On A Mission MC on Instagram. Uh, Awaken Souls events on Facebook. Or save our city, Mark Howell. Fantastic. Mark, I'll see you tomorrow. Boss, brother. Peace out.